Sonic Statesman.com. Um, so, hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 107. Uh, this is another live broadcast uh, where you can be found, we can be found generally at sonicstate.com forward slash live, where there's plenty of people in the chat room. Just like to say hi to everybody in the chat room. Um, and oh, we've, we've got a, a, a decent amount with us here this week. Uh, I think this week, we, if we run into any more technical difficulties, because this, uh, this, we are a bit cutting edge on this, I might knock it on the head for a while until technology catches up with our expectations so let's keep fingers crossed um if it goes well this week we'll keep it going next week but otherwise i think um we'll concentrate on just getting the show done but um with me so far ah uh, we're we're having a very english section um first two first two participants first of all dave spears from g4software.com hello governor hello how you doing i'm all right i think (laughs) the mtron plus pro still flying out the door can't print enough of them, I no, no doubt. Oh, I wish. Uh, no, it's doing all right. Get good. happy, happy, really happy, happy. Reports good everywhere so far. I haven't seen any anything bad about them anywhere. Nobody moaning. Nobody. Nobody. Anything. I'm sure you probably, as tech support, you get to hear a few people that might be um, a little bit less than grateful. Uh, Chris Once deals it. with all of the uh, Mtron Pro tech support, Once so I don't it. get to see it. <laughs> nice little move there, Dave. I don't know how you yes. managed to swing that one. Well, anyway, Dave Spears, got g4software.com. Um, thank you, anyway, for joining us. Um, and, of course, uh, Mr. Mark Tinley uh, from sunny Cambridgeshire. Did I get it right this time? Yes, you did. Hey! Good afternoon. Good I'm afternoon. Lord, of course, not Mr. Lord. Of course, I do keep forgetting. Very British, you know. So, uh, what's been happening? What's been? Ha- I, uh, I'm looking at a pair of Yamaha MSR5 speakers, which I got in oh. for review, which are very, really chunky. Very chunky things. Uh, what else has been happening? Um, oh, yeah, I went to the Music Live show at the NEC. Um, was hoping to bump into a couple of people. I know Oliver Davis, Roland UK, is in the chat room. I actually went up to the stand and asked for him in person, but was told that uh, he was not in the building, which is a shame. But, you know, that's sort of the way it goes. I think you were just there for the, he was just there for the, um, the, the, the fit-up. So, But there were lots of very guitar-heavy this year, the Music Live. It came from the guitar show, didn't it? Did it come from the guitar show? I wasn't sure because there was a, uh, it was kind of quite high techie for a while, but it, it's generally, it was education day. So there's lots of kids there kind of running around playing, playing riffs on their guitars. I'm quite mm. good at it. Actually, a lot of them were, to be perfectly honest. How about you, Dave? Have I already asked you how your week's been or am I rambling? <laughs> uh, my week's been interesting. Yeah, no, it's good. I've got a new piece of kit. Ooh, <laughs> go on. What'd you get? What'd you get? What'd you get? I got a Kurtzweil MIDI board. Oh, what? It's a Kurtzweil MIDI board. It's bloody massive and it weighs a ton. Is it like a KX88 or something? Yeah, but bigger, probably. (laughs) In that little room of yours? Right, yeah. So you can imagine now I'm absolutely swamped. So, yeah, but it's good. Very playable. Poly aftertouch, all that kind of stuff. Oh, so you're going to be doing loads of um, kind of uh, Liberace-type piano piano riffs in all your new, new demos? No, it just makes it easier to go wow, wow, wow on the filter, doesn't it? With your they're fingertips. All, they're all talking about ZX Spectrums in the chat room at the moment. I, I, the first sampler I ever built was based around a ZX Spectrum, and it came on the front of Electronics and Music Maker magazine, right, on a cassette, the software, wow, wow. and it was 
Uh, but I've still got I've still got the printout from Electronics and Music Maker. If anybody can get hold of the eight bit chips, it sounds absolutely awesome. It's a brilliant sound. Excellent. Well, so, there was that whole series of um, things that um, was it uh, Electron did Sid Station that was based on the Amiga chip, and that's that's still it's a similar cool sort thing of thing. About, okay, the cool thing about this guy, and I think this is possibly the precursor to a lot of the Decimator plugins is because I was obsessed with the sound of this thing and kept trying to persuade people to... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The thing the guy basically said was that he didn't put any um, noise reduction in the A to D converters because he said it didn't need it because basically people would get their noise reduction from the DBX or the Dolby C or Dolby B on their cassette decks. So basically the chips were so grungy and gritty and crunchy that everything you put into it came out sounding absolutely brilliant. Okay, had a real kind of quality of sound. Anyway, right, um, Audio Nerd has announced a new plugin today. It's called the Temper Temper, and it's a micro-diatonically equal-tempered metronome for VST. So effectively, it's a click that's in tune with the track you're working on. Hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, audio note, of course, uh, you might remember for um, the Dalai Lama, which we've, uh, we have we all remember fondly. And you can go and find, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes, because he said he was going to be announcing something. Oh yeah, audio note says, micro-diatonically equal-tempered metronome. It's Plugo runtime. There you go. I don't so, know if I've got Plugo on here anymore. I think I had some problems with some people release, okay, I'm going to start talking nonsense now maybe, but I think... <laughs> I'm right in saying that some people re- release different things for different versions of Plugo. So if you don't have, so sometimes you load the latest version of Plugo and it stops everything from working that was working before. Does that sound right to anybody out there? Ah, uh, okay. Ah, uh, yes. So I had about three different versions of Plugo on my computer all at the same time, or different runtime versions, so that I could run different things. And oh, right. So some things got disabled as I loaded other things on uh there, yes, apparently two, there are two runs two, yes two right okay had a real kind of quality of sound mark tinley can of course be found at funnymachine.com rich hilton good morning hey how you doing mate i'm doing good how about you i'm okay but uh, rich hilton uh, from connecticut long time studio collaborator with nile rogers and member of chic how is it where you are um remarkably little actual news to report but just in general everybody's well uh kids finished up their marching band season that would be the big news oh was that the video you had on uh, myspace yeah i might have posted it to myspace yeah i think mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay cool yeah they did well it was great fun and uh i love it and now winter percussion starts tonight hey what's winter percussion then well, it's uh, an indoor activity that involves the guard, which is those dancing girls with the flags, and uh, the percussion section and the pit, which is uh, the drums and the guys with the mallet instruments and such. Oh, okay, cool. And it's uh, a gymnasium-style presentation. It's indoors, so it's over a smaller spread, and it's a smaller number of people, and uh, it's you know different kind of music because it features the percussion. All right, so it's a kind of new phase of the music season. Yeah. Anybody on marimba? Well, my son uh, has been, but uh, this time they're pushing for him to play snare. Get those rudiments down. I'm sure he probably has already got them. If well, he's this, been is a, this is a house full of rudiments here. My wife is a snare drummer, and my uh, other son uh, was an instructor for the snare line this year at the school. And uh, so everybody plays rudiments here except me. 
So are we looking at another um, one of those amazing American drummers coming out of your family with all the rudiments of uh, military snare work in their in their back pockets? Could be, could be. James is pretty good. Nice. Has he got the groove? Yeah, he's funky. That's all. He's been it. around. He's been around Sheik since he was a little kid. Ah, well, of course, of course. <laughs> that right. helps. Right. Well, I want to start with this because uh, I went to see this film on Sunday and I thought it was brilliant. Quite a brave intro, I'd say. Right, I'm stopping it there because I could play it all. Um, it's weird because when I first heard that, that was uh, the Jack White and Alicia Keys um, soundtrack opening theme tune to Quantum of Solace, which is the new Bond film, obviously a major institution. And um, that, incidentally, is the first ever duet. Uh, it's the 22nd Bond film. And it's called Another Way to Die. Um, but a couple of things about that. Uh, first of all, I thought it was really good, and I quite enjoyed that. Uh, I know some people, when I first heard it, I thought, nah, it's not really Bondy, but it really grows. And when you see it at the cinema, on the full screen with the massive credits, it's really quite something to behold, I have to say. And Jack White, I think, has done a done a great job. Um, and uh, anyone else seen the Bond film? No. Nope. Nope. Okay, I don't think it's come out in the US yet, has it? Or has it? I I, you, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> hold on. I, I feel know. some tumbleweed coming. I'm just going to try and hold it off. I've got to go and shut the door and tape the seams closed on the window so the draft can't get in. Um, well, all right then. Let's talk about uh, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, um, I don't know if you've heard that theme tune before, um, Rich, but Jack White played the drums on that. And one of the things about it is when you hear it uh, in, in sort of full fidelity, it's a really impressive drum sound, and it's got a very similar vibe to the other White Stripe stuff. And I was just wondering, as a sort of general aside, how would one go about constructing a drum sound like that? What would be the sort of the, the ingredients? Obviously, it's a, it's, it must be a live kit because he's a very analogue guy, and that whole thing has been done to tape. You know, that was the whole thing. It was done in, in uh, Nashville with the Memphis Horns and all these various guys, and they just did the whole thing to tape. And I just wondered, you know, obviously it's kind of got a lot of compression on stuff, but how would you kind of go about trying to create a drum sound like that? Given that I'm hearing it in mono. Yeah, no, I understand. It's, it's um, very open and live. and I, I That sounds like the way I want to record drums anyway. Yeah, so that's cool. Fun. That's easy. Um, so how do I do that? Yeah. I start with the distant mics. 
Um, and particularly, I make the overheads sound great. If the overheads sound like a drum kit to me, the rest is just gravy. And so I, I am not a guy for whom overhead mics are cymbal mics. I'm not worried about not getting enough cymbals in my life. No. Unless it's like a really delicate jazz gig. I never spot mic cymbals. Um, but I make the sound of the kit in my overheads. And then I fill in all the close mics and the, di and, the ex and the further distant mics and try to make sure they're all correctly in phase with each other. Try to make sure they're properly selected and placed. Try to make sure the EQ doesn't sound like somebody dumped a bunch of EQ on it. And right. uh, and get the right balance. It, it's the phase and the right balance and the EQ and the in the ambience, you know, in the overheads and in the ambient mics that makes something like that both close and impacting, and then also distant at the same time. Okay. And th and that and you do it all without the because the compression will exacerbate that. So you, I do it all without the compression um, in terms of the overall drum bus. Uh, I will occasionally, rarely do I compress things. Uh, when I'm recording them in, in a drum kit, uh, but that's just me in my old school ways. And so, uh, if I get that right, then it, then you record it, then you get a performance. And then, if I were doing a record like that, I'd probably uh, use some of my new elastic audio tricks to um, to make it really funkier, a little okay. funkier. Well, the intro. I had a theory about this because, from what I understand and what I can get, gather from listening to the White Stripes, anyway, is that Meg plays really quite quietly and they seem to get a lot of uh, they obviously the mic technique is pulling out all the extra bottom end the, the bass drum in there particularly has got a real kind of warmth and w weight to it and so they i think they they it sounds like what they do is set it up really quietly so he plays very quietly and you get this kind of beautiful open drum sound and then when he really digs in and hits it it sort of he plays to the compression almost it sort of sounds like so maybe there's something like that going on so it almost becomes the dynamics are used in a kind of intelligent recording way, but uh, maybe I'm um, maybe I'm overanalyzing it. Could be. I mean, I, uh, you, what you say may be true. I mean, I don't know very many I, people I like what I just described. So you know, I know. I'm sure. I'm sure that's that would be the way to do it. I, but I, it was just an interesting technique. It sounded like he was he plays quietly and then hits it hard. You know, because he does that with his guitars. He's a great guitar sound guy, and it a lot of that's down to you know how much you drive the input of the you know the guitar channel or whatever it is he's doing so i wonder if he uses the same approach and you point out that he doesn't hit hard it reminds me of john bonham who as i watched on the zeppelin dvds doesn't hit as hard as you think and not as hard as other guys or maybe you know i don't know what you think but uh not as hard as a lot of other guys do since then he wasn't like a guy who's hitting the drum from like two feet above the the head Right. Uh, when he hits a snare, he, it, it's it, the sound doesn't come from hitting it harder when you're making a tone like that. So I don't know this guy's drumming that well, but uh, the drums did sound. I don't know either, but it, it, it that sort of the way that the if, when you when you hear it, get a chance to listen to it in high fidelity stereo, see what you think because it, it's just you can hear in the bass drum the way that it's it's quite resonant. I know, Dave, you're a drummer. Do you kind of recognize any truth in what I might be saying? And, and you know, would you agree with Richard that maybe that would be the way to go to get that kind of sound? Uh, possibly. I haven't got a clue, to be honest. I'd always just pick a really nice kit, make sure that I listen to the engineer when it, in terms of tuning and dampening and all that kind of stuff and just go with him. Lazy. Lazy. <laughs> I just, I'll just play. No, well, that's what I... That, I think you know when you're in a studio environment, you should play to your strengths. And if you're if you're the drummer and the other guy's a great engineer, then just listen. I know, I suppose so. I mean, Jack White has produced it and played the drums on it, and That's they sound great. 
They do. I mean, go check it out in a cinema. I mean, our local multiplex, you know, that's the one thing that's got better recently. It replaced that we had a lovely old kind of uh, Victorian um, dance hall, ballroom, theatre place that was wonderful, but the sound was dreadful. And this sort of multiplex, which is a bit faceless and, and characterless, but the sound is really good. And it, you can, listening to it in that kind of environment, because most of the time I'm used to hearing, you know, small near field monitors or headphones. I'm not used to hearing really high quality, but not very, very loud. And it was, it was really impressive and it really came across well. And the thing that I also liked about this particular theme tune is it's quite brave because the arrangement Bearing in mind it's supposed to be a single as well, the arrangement is quite off the wall and and uh, slightly out there. I know, Mark, you haven't said anything. Hello, Mark. I haven't what? You haven't said anything. I like it. <laughs> okay. That's all I can say. Next. I don't know how he did the drums. They sound really good. I mean, the way I would do drums is, if I want to get drums to sound like drums, is to put one microphone in the room about two foot in front of the drum kit. And everyone says, you have to mic up the bass drum and the snare drum and all this sort of stuff. And, and like, that, that's not really my strength. I would get another engineer to do that if I wanted that kind of a drum sound. If, sure, I, want, sure. if I want to record drums, I think a drum kit should sound like a drum kit, so I'll use one mic. I don't see the point in close micing it. Might as well use a drum machine. Well, that's a fair point. I mean, I suppose the thing about close micing these days, and Rich, you may you may well concur with this, is the fact that um, a lot of times, you know, you're putting it into Pro Tools, and the fact that you've got it all discreetly might mean you replace a bunch of things. I don't know whether that goes on much in your world, and you're probably working with a higher class of drummer, but, you know, quite often the bass drum is re-triggered or the snare drum or whatever. Yeah, quite well, that's happened quite often, yeah, and... Um but it's not down to the level of the player or anything. It's maybe down to the artist or the producer changing his mind as to what he wants in that spot in the groove. So it's not so much because the player wasn't good enough. It's just because the part may change or I've seen, yeah, cause I've seen albums where the uh, ambience mics completely disappear. <laughs> so, so, uh, because well, I, I suppose they'd have to, would they have to, if you're going to replace the bass drum and stuff, cause you end up in an awful mess with sort of phase and all sorts of weird stuff. Yeah, I guess it's been a while, but yes, because uh, now you can manipulate what you've got pretty easily. Yeah, that's without true. Ha- without having to replace it, as, so, as long as it was played somewhere in the song, you can pretty much put it where you need it. But anyway, I recommend any. But while we're on the subject of Bond, um, any anybody got any favourite Bond themes? Themes or films? Themes or films? Well, I mean, music. You know, the, the Bond music, the theme tune. You know, because obviously we've got. Uh, any number that live and let die is always a classic you know there's various other um see for me for me james bond is all about you only live twice because i actually went to see that film in the cinema when it first came out and i must have been about three or four four or five actually maybe right and i went uh with my friend roger figures and i was rather hoping that david dave robinson would be on this call today because dave robinson's into the crop dusters and roger is the guitarist from the crop dusters so that would have tied in nicely ah i don't remember those it. secret spy things for a four or five year old was but it was all brilliant it's, I loved such a, it. it's so nice to have it back i mean i'm not a fan of the roger moore years because it was it was a bit like i don't know it was like pantomime for me but um the new daniel craig is is there's there's more realism and gritty and it's sort of brutal the 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 violence has consequences which i think it always should you know if you're going to display that sort of thing you need to kind of show people that it's not just kind of ouch you know rather than anyway um but um 
Jack White says of this particular theme, by the way, I drummed for her voice and she mimicked the guitar tones. Then we joined our voices and screamed and moaned about these characters in the film and their isolation, having no one to trust, not even themselves. Maybe we became them for a few minutes. The Memphis Horns were there to help us out, along with some of Nashville's finest. Might be the first analogue Bond theme in 20 years. I don't know. We wanted to push soul into those tapes and join the family of Barry, Bassey, Connery and Craig. Gosh, he's talked some flowery nonsense, doesn't he? But... uh, Nice bit of PR, that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, ingenious. But I, I, I'm I'm a big fan of Jack White, and I'm like, that's it there. And also, David Arnold now seems to be doing all the incidental music for, rather than, uh, you know, he's got the kind of John Barry gig, and that was pretty good too. So if you get the chance, go and check it out. Not film critics are saying it's rubbish, there's no plot. I wouldn't say that myself. I mean, I was I was fully expecting to be totally disappointed, and I wasn't, and I, I just enjoyed it, and it was good fun, so let's um let's see what people think about it when they um when they get a chance to see it but i do recommend it so um the next topic um this was kind of cool this is a four track for your iphone and um this was from um sonoma wireworks it's a um, 10 bucks uh, and i know you know people often get a little bit um aggrieved when we go on about the iphone but it was more to do with the four track aspect i just thought this isn't this bizarre that after all these years we've you know i started out working on a four track well on a two track cassette then i got a four track and then we kind of come full circle all this technology is advanced over and now we're at the point where our mobile phones can run four tracks or these little tiny handheld devices can run four track isn't that strange and and kind of weird that it all has all come back to that do you think it might make a difference mark i know you downloaded it what do you make of it I downloaded it, and it's really odd because Gina, my partner, looked at. I said, "Look at this! You've got to see this." And I said, "It's a four-track, uh, four-track recorder in my phone." And she said, "Oh, well, you definitely bought the right phone then." I was kind of like, "Yeah, really." And she and she was like, "But didn't people just used to record stuff on something like that like years ago?" And I was like, "Well, yeah, the analog version of it. Yeah, they did. The Beatles actually recorded loads of albums on a four-track." And it's very good, actually. Let me. So I just want to try something because I recorded this with it. I do a big poo. I do a big So you probably can't use that. You can't use that. I don't think poo's in the bleepable words. I think that's okay. <laughs> At least it wasn't, I had a... No, I can't can't use that. (laughs) (laughs) I have have got it, and it is very, very good, and I'm quite impressed. And I I just love the idea of being being able to stuff me iPhone headphones on and and sing things and come up with harmonies to things. Can you plug like a a line level into the iPhone, or do you need some sort of attachment gizmo? I don't know. I've never tried that, actually. Because uh, it, head- do- it all has to be done by the microphone, does it? Well, the head the headphones have got a built-in microphone. Ah, okay, so, okay. Well, this. But I, in I, terms I, of can I record guitars, I don't know. But the but the iPhone has a special three-way sort of jack plug on it that has the microphone input on the same jack as the headphone output. It's like my Nokia. My Nokia's got the same sort of thing. So I guess you could make a cable to do it if you got the plug. Yeah, you could easily. It's just a three-sleeve one. You can buy them at, you know, most um, accessory stores. Uh, track cat. Okay, the Sonomore Wireworks is nine ninety-nine US dollars. It's on an offer at the moment. I think it's going up, but I don't know to how much. Uh, unlimited track length, obviously, just depends on how much memory you've got. 16-bit, 44-1. Um, the calibrated meters, apparently. Uh, clip lights. 
calibrated favors, pan control, uh, timeline, you can seek anywhere, shuttle wheel, slide to record, prevents overwriting your tracks, latency compensation, which looks good. So presumably when you're monitoring in here you it automatically uh it's accurate to within one millisecond it's got compressor limiter built in uh song list and it's got wi-fi sync so you can copy your recordings to a desktop computer so it's kind of it's like a super I posh dictaphone i, I couldn't guess. find the compressor limiter Dad, to adjust I'm it all right okay we'll come back to you in a bit rich are, yes. you, are you feeling iphone envy yet Still not con- con- convinced to jump over? Could you could you find a use for a, a, just a kind of four track that happened to be on your phone? I mean, because these things, obviously, you know, you can buy a Zoom H4, you can buy all these other things and carry them with you. But the fact that it's all in one unit is what makes it kind of interesting. I don't care whether it's an iPhone or whatever. I'm sure it would be available on other devices as well. But do you think that's the sort of thing that that we need to capture, you know, those ideas on the go? Or do you think the kind of whole thing about let's do the song right here, I can write a, a hit on the bus is vastly overrated well like i don't know it's it's cool and will that motivate me to buy hardware to make my ipod touch work with audio i don't know uh, if i needed it bad enough i suppose but if i need it bad enough i'm bringing my laptop anyway but um i yeah it's great i love it i'm thrilled i'm happy that they've got it would i it's not really for me but it's great i'm happy for it, I, it looks great i wonder it's, if it's going to lead to people actually um you know, this whole thing that we often talk about, which is, you know, limitations actually assisting you in the creative process. So, you know, rather than going off down lots of dead ends, you've just got to make a decision there because you've only got four. I know, Dave, what do you think? Limitations are always good and always fun. I'm, I'm quite intrigued by this, actually. Um, if, it, if there's a way of getting a line input into it, I'd probably just go and get it. But I'm completely in love with that RJ DJ thing. Are you still playing with that? Yeah, man, I took uh, that. And funny enough, that chaos layer up to the Underworld studio the other the other week. And it was brilliant because people just like toys, don't they? Of course we do. Particularly if you're in a studio environment because you're always reaching for the same old interface and something that kind of might get you somewhere a bit differently tangentially, especially the Underworld boys, I'd imagine, would love that sort of thing. But um, Yeah, no, it was good fun. Good fun. But yeah. uh, certainly walking around with that RJ DJ and just recording, you know, various some um, places and putting it through their effects i think we i think what we're going to have to do is get a um an iphone ipod touch track together aren't we with using all these various applications and just kind of catalog how we did it and what we used um oliver davis uk in the chat room says nick do you know of any software apps for the n95 the nokia n95 and i'm afraid i don't um i don't think i've got anything on here that i can use um musically um so no it doesn't seem to even though it's a symbian it's sort of open source there doesn't seem to be as much of, uh, you know, people looking to code for it, which is a shame. It's a, it's a shame. Hmm. So anyway, um, okay, well, let's move on to this, because obviously this, this might link in possibly to um, this other topic, which was the long-term relationships with gear, because obviously um, uh, we've all had various items of equipment, and this was started by Alex P on Gearsluts.com, which uh, I think I've said before is a great uh, pro-audio forum where you can find a lot of people from all varying abilities from sort of beginners right up to kind of industry professionals who dish out very useful advice and insight into the way they do things um and it was really um what music electron what electronic music instruments have you had the longest relationship with and um how's it been going is it rocky dave spears you've got a lot of electronic musical instruments um i've had a lot of relationships with a lot of instruments you tart (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, yes. I'm a complete analog slut. Um, <laughs> I've literally just unplugged my JD800, which I've had since about 1992, and that's been my kind of that's my main master control keyboard for a long time because the scanning on it was really, really quick. But I've, like I said just before we came on air. I'd, Replace that with a Kurzweil MIDI board, um, which is very old technology. In fact, that's older than the JD. I think that's like 80-something. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, blimey. The Oscar, actually. I've had a very long-term love affair with my Oscar that's been rekindled recently, and probably the OB-8. When you say scans quickly, what do you mean? Do you mean it, 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 it's there's no latency between you pressing a key and it, it sort of sending the information into the tone bit? Is that what you mean? <laughs> Yeah, there's a strange bit on the... I think this got two processors on the JD, one that's purely for scanning the keyboard and the other one for, you know, connecting to the sounds, as it were. So it was always lightning fast. When you compare it with stuff like D50s and stuff like that, D50s were always sluggish. Ah, would, would that respond... Would that be in the same respect on the MIDI input as well, or is that a different process? I think that's that's a different process, but it just feels, you know, it's it's, it's probably a bit of a placebo effect, but it, it's always felt really um, nice, light, yeah, very snappy. Um, so going to this Kurzweil, which is now weighted and has uh, all the aftertouch nonsense on it, it's been quite a revelation. But the thing is, weighted keyboards <laughs> you can't play drums on. I don't find because they're sluggish because of the rise time. I mean, not they're just not designed for that. So to play drums on a, on a weighted keyboard, I don't know if that's how you how you program drums into your system, but it just doesn't work for me. No, and in fact, that's why I've I've put one of those little M Audio what's it Axiom Forty Nine uh, on top of the MIDI board just so I can uh, do stuff like that. Yeah, so you, yeah. you're going for a two tier approach with pads. Oh, man, you should see this room. It's insane at the minute. It really is insane. I've got the MIDI board, the Axiom, the JD800, the the Odyssey, the Mini Moog, the Nord, the Oberheim, the Oscar. And a cape. Uh, actually, that's next. <laughs> I'll get you one for Christmas. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the thing about pads, um, which I find um, they always seem to be a good idea until you actually want to use them, because quite often you've only got eight of them or 16, and there's usually more drum sounds on a kind of bank of sounds than you want, and you spend ages pissing around just trying to assign the notes, and I can't bear that, so I need a good, fast, m- plastic sort of MIDI keyboard to do it with. Otherwise, you know, you can't kind of go, yeah, there's the sound I want, hit it now, you know, because otherwise you're going, oh, yeah, that's on C5, just going to go in there. Don't you find that? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I'll do it from the keys. I won't do it from the pads. Uh, but you won't be able to. Oh, yeah, you've got the 49 key. Okay, right, fair enough. I thought I was going to catch you out then. Damn. Ah, <laughs> Rich Hilton, how's your love affair with electronic music instruments been? Um, anything you care, you're you not ashamed of? <laughs> does your wife well, know? Yeah. <laughs> she. Uh, the things she needed that she's interested in, she knows. Um, <laughs> when, you, when you say the longest relationship with, the first synth I ever used was an EML 101. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was around 1972, maybe, or one uh, guy I knew in high school got one. And uh, and that was the first one I ever touched. The longest uh, intimate synthesizer relationship <laughs> would be uh, Minimoog, for sure, because that would have been the next one I was I was around a lot. Uh-huh. And, and, and also Micromoog and Multimoog and... Uh, even Moog modular gear. Um, I was, you know, I started getting interested in synthesizers very much in around 1974 and five. And uh, so everything that came out around then was stuff I like completely immersed myself in. Sure. And, uh, 
And then I ended up uh, selling keyboards in 1977, and that was around the time of the Oberheim 4 voice with the four SEMs. And uh, Yamaha had some cool stuff, and Roland uh, probably had the SH-101 by then. And it was, it was, there was some cool stuff around. And, uh, and ARP 2600s were around. And, and so this is the stuff I really spent the most formative time on. And then... Memory, uh, uh, multi, uh, Memory Mug was another one I spent a whole lot of time on in the Oberheim series, uh, starting with OBX and then OBXA and then eventually OB8. Um, and still, the OBX probably sounded the best of them. But uh, there were, there, you know, and uh, I was around CS80 quite a bit uh, in the early 80s because I worked on a record uh, with, uh, that Eddie Jobson did. And so the thing was around the studio all the time. So I was, uh-huh. ar- I was around it quite a bit. And. Uh, you know, so it was that kind of hardware that I grew up with, and uh, that's the stuff that I have the longest relationship with, which ties back to the original. Rich, it, it sounds very much like you were quite. Um, you played the field a lot in your youth. <laughs> if I'm looking quite for a bit. Sort of smudgy, I got married. I got smudgy. married late in life. <laughs> <laughs> What's the longest serving one that you've actually owned? Then do you think? Uh, the uh, Multimog. Two oscillator, uh, basically a two oscillator uh, micro mode. Oh yeah, okay. Multi mode uh, was the first synthesizer I owned. I Got it around seventy eight, seventy nine, seventy nine. I think I rented a Korg micro preset from the local music store. That was my first one that I'd had for a little bit of time, and then um, I think it was an MS twenty, MS ten actually, which I had for a very long time, but it just didn't really suit the music that I was getting into, so it didn't really get used an awful lot. Just trying to think what I've had the longest since then. I think I probably would say, what have I still got? It's probably my Korg Monopoly. It's the thing I've had the longest. Is that I, your Wurlitzer that you've got? I've got a Wurlitzer as well. I've got an EP200A. It's in the um, it's up in the top room at the moment. I haven't really got anywhere for it to go. Um, my house. Your house. Well, it's a bit screwed. <laughs> it needs... It, it, actually, it was Andy Davis's Wurlitzer, who was um, Tears of Fears, Corgis, whatever. He sold it to me. And it, it's it's been around a bit, and it's lovely, but it needs... Um, some of the tines need replacing, uh, and some of them had have been moved around and had the solder scrubbed off them and stuff. And there is a place, I think in Texas, that you can get them for that are really cheap, because if you buy them over here, the individual tines cost a fortune, but you, you order them from overseas, and they're really, really reasonably priced. So um, I, I need to, it's one of those, it's a restoration project that's waiting for my retirement, I think would <laughs> probably be fair to say, but there we go. But I think that's probably my longest terminal, and I still find that the Monopoly is something that I instinctively can reach for. I don't know what it is about it, I just, you know, I, I feel um, fluent in Monopoly, or at least I was, I don't know if I still am, to be honest, I have to dig it out because it's been broken for a while. It works via... Um, MIDI and CV, but it doesn't work when you play it from the keyboard. All the oscillators are out of tune and stuff, so the tracking's gone, and, you know, it's all a bit sad. Damn. But um, I don't know if Mark's back. I am. I am. <laughs> you are, Mark. What's your longest, long-term electronic musical instrument? You th- uh, look- a Powertran MCS-1. We've still got it. I've, I've got... I'm on my third one, actually. Oh, that's impressive. I don't know how many of them they made. I doubt that they made more than a thousand of them. And I did. it took me two years to find this last one. And it's basically, it's a two-unit rack sampler that can sample. It's, it works like a delay, but it also works as a MIDI sampler. So MCS stands for MIDI Controlled Sampler. And you can 
mess around with it and get it to record maybe up to about 32 seconds of sound but it's got a really unique sound and you can loop stuff in it in a really unique way um and pitch it up and down and then punch it in and out of record so you can make loops of really strange stuff up by playing different things into it i mean it's kind of outmoded now but it's great fun to play around with yeah so it's kind of like an old an old school looper i suppose is it yeah, I mean, it's like when Jam Mans came out, I was going like, but I was doing that years ago. Well, it was the, I mean, the, it, the Bell BD80 <clears throat> delay, wasn't it, that you used to use for uh, spinning in stuff and grabbing sections of things. Is that right, Rich? Yes, yes. Yeah, I've used the Bell BD80. This does something that the Bell BD80 doesn't do. And you, it's the layering thing that you can do with it that it doesn't do, I think. And and also the Bell BD80 is kind of studio sound quality and the MCS1's really grungy. Powertrain, they were they a kit form or did they actually did you you could you could buy it as a kit or you could buy it as a ready made up unit and it was around the same same time the first digital drum machine that came out was the korg ddm 220 and i spotted that in the back of melody maker around the same time as the mcs1 and i wanted both of those things and i didn't buy an mcs1 for about four years after that and i bought one second hand i think and possibly just I mean, I had my ZX Spectrum sampler and then this MCS-1, and this is before I got into the Casio FZ-1. Mm. But um, And then in terms of synths, I think the first synth I ever used was a Roland SH-101. Right. And everything that I know about synthesis comes from my understanding of that one particular piece of hardware. And that was basically, I was at the pub with this guy, Stuart, I think, and he was he was saying, do you want to come back to my house for to smoke something illegal and i was like yeah sure okay so and me and a whole load of mates all went back to his house and um everyone kind of sat and got stoned and did their kind of you know talking stoned talk thing and yeah. i was like what's that thing and he said oh it's a synth do you want to play around with it so i annoyed his neighbors for about four hours <laughs> just <laughs> experimenting with it and basically working out how it worked and and uh, I think that was when I put the guitar against the wall and stopped really kind of um, practicing scales and stuff and started getting into music technology. Did it have the mod grip? No. Uh, no, it didn't. No. Probably good job, though, that, eh? Think where it would have got you if you'd have had the mod grip prancing around. <laughs> you'd have well, annoyed the, the neighbours. He was eh? a really lovely guy, actually, and he lent that machine to me for, like, about six months because he didn't really understand how it worked and wasn't doing anything with it. And he used to go on these long road trips on a little Honda 125 to, like, you know, the Saudi Arabia and Africa and stuff. And he'd just go away and sort of say, well, will you look after it for me? And I'd have this thing in my house for ages. Oh, brilliant. Sounds like the sort of friend that... Uh that we all need at that age. Well, yeah. anyway, um, thank you very much for sharing that. And in the chat room, there's lots of people um, chipping in. There's been uh, Andromeda's, uh, there's been uh, SH-101s, there's been a lot of acoustic guitars, actually. Let's have a look. MKS-70 seems to get a good shout as well. Uh, oh, I had one of those. They're good. And uh, the JX-8P. They're brilliant. Yeah, I loved all those. And I think the MKS-70 was actually a JX-10 in Iraq. Yeah, they did sound nice. They had that kind of... That like that Roland chorus thing built in that just made them super wide, you know, great for those sort of really fat wide pads that just seem to fill 
a space. Okay, well, that's great. Thanks for sharing. Um, and thanks for the guys in the chat room for sharing. Remember, the chat room is sonicstate.com forward slash live. Uh, we seem to be having um, a good audio day. So perhaps last week was an aberration because of the election, post-election traffic and excitement. So this is good news, I feel. I'd just like to say thanks to, at this point to our sponsors, Yamaha Music Production, and I wanted to tell you about their Pocket Track 2G, which is the palm size, well, more than, smaller than palm size, tiny little USB-based recorder, records to um, two gigabytes internal memory. It's got a slide-out USB connector, which is really cool. Plug it straight into the computer. Built-in stereo mic, which is rotatable over thir- uh, 90 degrees. Limiter, line-in. Uh, it's got an on-board speaker for quick playback reference and half-speed transcription. It's great for journalists dictaphones audio sketch pads recording rehearsals uh backing up podcasts even uh including the box is the usb extension cable stereo headphones a leather carrying case and stand adapter as well as cubase ai you can find more information about it at yamahasynth.com forward slash products forward slash pocket track incidentally we should be having a review uh coming out for that um on friday so thanks again to yamaha music production That was Beardy Man, who's a UK chap um, called Darren Foreman, and he's basically a beatboxer. That wasn't at all beatboxy, that was kind of more, you know, his jazz thing. I, I don't know if you got it over Skype, but the quality he got of the, of the trumpet sound at the beginning, it was uncannily correct in terms of the harmonic that came in it like it was a muted trumpet i don't know dave did you did you catch did you catch that or was that a bit too uh a yeah, yeah yeah worked well that was done with um it was a show from the cube in bristol uh he had a couple of chaos pads and a mic that was it. And the chaos pads are the kp3s that are pretty, they got the little four channel sample recorders hold on one sec yes hello we interrupt this program to bring you the phone, <laughs> telephone communication. <laughs> Room service. <laughs> That's right. No, I said noodles. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. That was a call from Focusrite. I'm going to be taking uh, one of their Sapphire Pro 40s in for review. Anyway, I forgot to turn it off. Um, but yes, Beardy Man, um, that was one of his videos. He's done a load of them, but he does a lot of freestyle stuff as well. And he's, he does this amazing thing. You can hear at the beginning, he do, he's one of the few people that can do the rewind thing properly. I'll just give you that again, because it's really... Now, which is, when you hear him do it, um, there's a, there's, if you go to beardyman.co.uk, there's a whole load of, of his things going on. Uh, there's one where he's on the, uh, t- I can't remember, the Tim, Tim Shaw radio show, and they just give him words. They just say, say this backwards and scratch that. So they'll say, you know, say Tim Shaw, and he goes, all right then, hold on. And he just thinks about it for a couple of seconds, and he does the whole thing 
absolutely perfectly with sort of backwards forwards scratched and everything i mean he's just he, there must be something slightly um obsessive about him for all his brilliance but i just thought it was good anybody else agree uh, bravo yeah yeah it's, it's very sort of it's seen as a real pigeonhole thing it's kind of street and what have you but could you imagine getting somebody like him who can emulate all these instruments coming in and you give him and you've got like a basic idea for a track or whatever and you just go just come and jam on this you know come up with a load of lines and then you could either use them as are or re-orchestrate them just get him to pour it out because you listen to him doing stuff on off the cuff and it is the most creatively it's really fast because he's got he's doing he's doing it real-time sort of almost polyphonic beats and other sounds at the same time i mean he'd be top value as a session guy could you see that working rich for certain kinds of music maybe you know i'm i'm totally down he was great i thought he was fantastic and that backwards thing is remarkable it really is bizarre isn't it you think how how do you do that (laughs) mark have you seen any of his stuff before um i'm not sure if i've seen anything before but i was absolutely amazed by that uh, video on youtube I mean, I just watched it a couple of times. I was just, I don't, was he using chaos pads or sampling? No, yeah, two chaos pad threes, but the new ones, which have got four sample slots. So you can record one loops and you just can can mute them. So they'll loop and you can remute them. I mean, how how the hell does he think of all that he's got, he's got his creative flow coming in and then he's got things going in those boxes he's doing stuff with his hands and thinking about where things are going next and just how to have that whole creative flow going and create a performance like that i mean i was just gobsmacked apart aside from the fact that he can do all those sounds with his mouth to add that all together as a performance and get all that stuff happening it's really brilliant yeah i mean he's obviously got a very agile creative mind um Rich Hilton has got to go, um, so just say goodbye to him, and then we'll carry on with the discussion. So, Rich Hilton, um, thank you very much for joining us. I know you got, you're busy doing other stuff, so thanks for sparing um, your precious time with us, and um, we hope to see you again very soon. Always good. Thanks for having me, and uh, good to see you guys. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Rich Hilton, of course, can be found at myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. Um, Dave, what did you make? That. I thought it was brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, those scat chords were just amazing, really. I didn't realise the rewind thing was actually hit. I thought he was doing that on, you know, the chaos pads or no, something. No. You should hear but, some of the other stuff he could do. It's, I mean, that was nothing compared to some of the, the rewind stuff he can do. Amazing. And this isn't the same guy who did the Ableton Live stuff, is it? No, um, uh, I don't know. I th- I don't know whether he does or not, actually. I'm going to have to find out more. The the trip from, you know, your brain to your fingers via the synapses to the interface that you're using, in that instance, it's straight out of his mouth. So it's instantaneous creativity. I mean, can you imagine him having him come along and just sit just sit in the back of the room and just mumble stuff into the mic that comes up, comes up when I'm playing these beats, please? And then we'll, you know, you'll get a session for you and you could use, you could probably just put some incredible stuff together because he does all this other really fast kind of drum and bass beats, hip hop beats, house beats, all sorts of stuff. There's just absolutely tons of it. He's very... Yeah, that's what I was looking at, some of the drum and bass stuff. Just amazing, amazing. Uh, in fact, um. Somebody on the chat room said, no, it's the Ableton guy was Kid Beyond, which, of course, I remember now. Okay. Somebody should get this guy a name, shouldn't they? Well, you'd think so. I mean, you'd think he'd... Bloody Korg should get him, shouldn't they? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe he's just too famous now. I mean, I don't know what he's... You look on his MySpace page, he's got gigs kind of about the place. I mean, not packed out and not lots of them. 
but i mean i imagine seeing him in the flesh because there's something about you know when you're watching a video or something you know you have to kind of remind yourself that there's no trickery going on but you can't it's not the same as actually being in the same room as somebody doing that sort of thing must be awesome to witness there's um if you go to beardyman.co.uk there's um audio and video he's got a really funny website and the thing about him he's very humorous he's got a lot of fun in what he does and he's you read a couple of his interviews and they're almost totally useless but they're very amusing um <laughs> but he uh, he's on the tim shaw show and they just kind of throw things at him and say do that and then afterwards they're just going god you just make us all look so crap <laughs> what are we gonna do <laughs> oliver now davis, it's oliver davis from roland uk in the chat room says we use him oh really wow, cool right take him to nam at roland uk Tell Mr. Booth to up the budget and take him to Nam. Yeah, you've got to get him there. Got to get him there. Um, right. Well, anyway, that was Beardy Man. Uh, BeardyMan.co.uk. Darren Foreman. He's the guy. Uh, MTVMusic.com. They've launched a sort of, I suppose it's to counter uh, YouTube. You know, they've taken all of their content. They've got something like 16,000 videos and unplugged things from, from the, all the years of MTV that you can play on mtvmusic.com which sounds great and it was launched a few weeks ago we've it's been in the show notes for a while but we haven't quite got round to it but unfortunately for me or us perhaps um every time i go there it says sorry you can't play this outside the us i haven't been able to watch anything at all anybody else had a chance i managed to watch thriller my, the michael jackson video hmm and that was just one that I randomly picked because it happened to be on the main page. I clicked it and, and it played. But the things, some of the things I wanted to watch, it said, no, you did copyright. Yeah, I uh, no, it seemed everything I wanted to watch was like, like that. But. Stops us from playing it outside the and, US. And I couldn't find any of my videos on there, so I don't know what they're doing. No, it can't be any, anything well, like it. occurred to me to look for mine. No, they won't have it, though, of course. No, well, I was sort of hoping it would be, there'd be something archived. So they don't have every they don't have every video then, do they? If they don't have yours, no, clearly not. It's not Whereas like yours YouTube, wasn't YouTube, YouTube. Apparently, YouTube doesn't have as many as MTV, which I find hard to believe because there's loads of obscure. You can always find something, but MTV is owned by Viacom, and Viacom is the company that filed the one billion dollar lawsuit against YouTube. So um, obviously, there's um, uh, uh, there's there's going to be something going on there. Um, among other things, apparently Viacom wanted to have full control over any of its content that it gets posted, which obviously YouTube can't provide. They can't even provide it over their own content, so I don't know quite what's going to happen about that. But there is, you know, it's a sort of legit... I don't quite know how it works, because I think, I think perhaps the reason you can see it in the States and not over here is because in the States they don't have the PPS, do they? A P, PPL? Whereas they do in Europe. Oh, right. So, uh, and, and that, for those of you who wonder what the hell I'm talking about, basically in the UK and to, uh, or the EEC, if your video gets played and you are a musician who played on that track, there is a small royalty that gets divvied up amongst all the people who were involved in the record, whereas they don't have the same thing in the US. So presumably um, they can broadcast the stuff via MTV and they don't have to pay any additional royalty. So that's presumably why it's there. But... I imagine if you're in the States or in one of the territories where it can uh, can make sense, then good. What was the quality like? Better than better good. than YouTube or same? Yeah, better than YouTube. I mean, if I type Garden of Eden into YouTube, my video comes up. It says Garden of Eden Acid House Video. And I don't even know that I've got a copy of it anymore, actually. No, I've got the same if thing. If I type That's... it into MTV, don't have, they don't have it. No, absolutely. I'm glad people are putting it on YouTube. I mean, you know it's way beyond any point where I'm ever likely to make any more money from that record. And it's a piece of my history. It's nice to know that people 
still appreciate it and it's still out there yeah and also it may, it does the ego good when you can search on your own stuff and somebody's that's not you or your immediate family has put it online sort of reaffirms the fact well, that it might have been all right you know it wasn't just I think the, oh oh it's playing stop <laughs> sorry oh mark you are you are such a tart well but somebody on here said what a tune incredible i think i was only 10 years old when this came out and i've (laughs) loved house ever since hearing stuff like this i mean for me to read that that somebody called prime nine m92's comment this was a week ago someone made that comment it's just it makes it makes all the hair stand up on the back of my neck and think oh okay so you know it made a difference to someone isn't that brilliant yeah that's true it's true well i mean i think as creative people we all just seek um approval and uh of course (laughs) the whole time so any more we can squeeze out of it by these kind of uh, tenuous things is is good for me (laughs) (laughs) then have you got any on the no 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 i don't think so you have dave you know you have and you're just not saying yes well yeah no i'm not (laughs) right (laughs) well that's homework then is it someone's (laughs) gonna find it no because probably people have gone on and gone god that was rubbish ah well before we go actually uh, this is a good point to round up i've been trying to find out because what i want is a pay-as-you-go data plan for the states i want to get my nokia phone unlocked i want to put a sim card in it that allows me to get 3g or hdsp um fast broadband but on a monthly pay-as-you-go thing because when i'm over there i want to be able to kind of you know use my phone on a data plan without paying an enormous amount of money by using uh, a third-party carrier i'll put a new sim in it so if anybody out there knows where to start looking or any plans that do exist that will work in the anaheim area for nam next year please do contact (laughs) the show or contact me um with nick at sonicstate.com or any of the other ways you can contact at the show um would really uh, appreciate that. I might actually have an answer for you for that. Oh, really? I saw something on a plane, and it was called an, it's an international SIM card that you put in your phone, and it keeps your UK number but allows you to make calls very cheaply while you're abroad. Oh, really? I don't want calls. I just want data. Ah. I just want to be able to get the you know 3G speed or 3.5G or HDSP upload. But I don't want to pay for it via my UK data plan because it'll cost me about $10 a megabyte. $10 billion, pounds, yeah. yes. So it'll end up costing thousands. Pay as you go data. Yeah. I don't know. That's what we need. Anyway. I don't know is the answer then. But thank you. I think that's probably it. We'll skip the headphones topic for this week. And uh, thank you, everyone. We've done for- that one before anyway, haven't Oh, right. We? Well, good job. Good job. I didn't put it in. I was wondering when I was going to start repeating myself. Excellent. I'm glad you reminded me. My senility has been, um, uh, has been avoided. At least I suppose this is going out live, so it hasn't. Damn. Right. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me this week. Uh, especially thanks to the chat room people for hanging in there. I know we haven't had a couple of good data weeks, but this seems to have worked. And I haven't had any people um, complaining, so great. Thank you, everybody there. Um, I'll do a quick sound check. As your head, Buffy, DNA, Kieran K, Klaus, Lee Kemp in Bristol, Livewire Ops, Mark JXP. 8p thank you for coming mark nomar number cruncher oliver davis roland uk rob g s sunny state yeah brilliant thank you very much folks and thank you to my guests uh, obviously rich hilton has left the building immediately rich hilton can be found myspace.com forward slash hiltonius mark tinley thank you for joining me you're very welcome and thank you very much uh, funnymachine.com can be yes. where you can see what mark's up to and uh, he's up to a lot oh, we'll have to I, talk about it next I'm week i'm up to lots of uh 
I've got a creativity program on there at the moment, which is free for download. It's a creativity meditation, and it's worth trying because I've had some really good feedback from people who've tried it. So. Oh, I'll give it a go. And you're writing a book and everything, so yeah, I want to hear about that. And Dave Spears from G4 Software, thank you for joining us and sharing your innermost synthesizer relationships thoughts yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i bet you we are going to find some stuff of on of you on youtube i'm gonna uh, oliver davis uk says he's off to the travel lodge with a fair light now <laughs> oh nice. you can, you can nice. book it by the hour i heard <laughs> mr and mrs smith series, is it a series two or a series three she's a big girl Whichever one she <laughs> floppy is. and all he says floppy and all series two has it got eight inch floppy disks then Easy, Tigers. Come on, let's keep it beyond in, within the bounds of decency. I don't want these metaphors <laughs> to go too far now. Actually, no, I was asking that for a more... Uh, Nick has got a whole load of these massive floppy disks, which I've never, ever seen one of the drives for because I'm too young for anything that size, perhaps. And he's always going on about, I want to get the sounds off this and put them on to something else. Because there's all the view to a kill samples and the stuff they used in all their early stuff is on these huge discs. So um, if anybody's got a Fairlight Series 2 with one of those massive 8-inch drives on it, then <laughs> I've got a job for you, actually. Oh, dear, they're coming thick and fast. I've got a quick disc, somebody says, with a rather uh, shameful smile. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, can I put out an appeal? Dave, please do put out an appeal. I want to know about an Ampeg SBT, and that's not an SVT, it's an SBT. Oh, is that the box? The flip top? Uh, no, it's, uh, it's a head. I think it's a preamp, but we don't seem to know very much about it, and uh, the people that we've spoken to at Ampeg don't seem to know very much about it either, so if anyone's got any really good info out there, I'd Ampe- like to hear it. Ampeg SBT? Yeah. Right, okay. That's the call for this week's uh, Sonic Talk number 107. Uh, please do come by. Uh, you can catch us next week at sonicstate.com forward slash live at 4pm British Standard Time, 10am Central Standard Time, which I think is in the US. So you can tell. You can work out the rest of it yourself. But thanks ever so much for joining. That's been the show. <laughs> <laughs>